and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs is a book of wisdom that we are walking through together as a church. A quick little heads up here. Uh, next week, Montrell Haygood will be preaching his first sermon at the Garden. And so make sure you come next week as Montrell brings us a word from Colossians. Uh, so we'll take a break from Proverbs next week, uh, dive into what it means to grow in godliness. And so if you need to grow in godliness, make sure you come next week uh, and hear a word from this very godly man. And then follow, the week after that, we will get back into Proverbs and we will remain in Proverbs uh, for the remainder of the summer and even into the fall. But today we look at Proverbs chapter 2. Read along in your own Bible as I read. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, maybe you could find one on, on, on your phone. There's some in the back as well. I do encourage you to have a copy of the Bible in front of you. Proverbs chapter 2. Let me read the, the whole chapter and then we will dive into it. My son, if you receive my words and you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and whose, who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks to the death and her paths to the, de to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land. And those, who, those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. And the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray and ask God for wisdom. Father, we do ask that you... Speak to us this morning as we look at Proverbs chapter 2. We thank you for preserving this wonderful chapter for us, giving it to us, and we believe that this is your word that you are actually speaking this morning. And we want to hear you speak. We want to experience you this morning through this word. So God, give us that grace. We pray that the Holy Spirit opens our hearts so that we might receive what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can a person change? Can a person 
really change? The Bible says yes. The Bible says yes. People do change and people can change. This chapter is called by some one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Because this chapter not only says, yes, you can change. This chapter not only says, yes, change is available. This chapter explains to us and shows us how people change. I was contemplating the movie Forrest Gump the other day. It's not something I typically do, but occasionally. I find myself thinking about the movie Forrest Gump. Hmm, that's an interesting movie, isn't it? There's a lot in there. And what I was thinking about earlier this week was this little feather at the beginning and at the end of the movie. Have you seen it? So at the beginning of the movie, there's this feather floating, being uh, pushed through the wind, and then it lands near Forrest. Forrest, I think, picks it up and sticks it somewhere. At the end of the movie, there's the feather again, and it's tumbling through the wind, being carried by the breeze, and it drifts off. And, I, and this, for some reason, I don't know, God just gave me this connection with Forrest Gump. The feather represents Forrest Gump's life. I never saw that before. But it struck me earlier this week why these, uh, the, the producer or whoever's idea was to put the feather, why did, there in Forrest Gump's life, I mean, he experienced some pretty amazing things, like all over the place, travel the world. Forrest Gump never did anything intentionally. I mean, the whole point of the movie is to follow this guy's life being blown by the wind. Forrest Gump, his life tumbled through the breeze of circumstance. And it did take him to some pretty remarkable places. But he never made one intentional decision or move his entire life. Hence, the feather. That was genius, wasn't it? Now, see, a lot of us, when we think of change, can a person change, or can, let's make this personal, can I change? A lot of us would say, yes, uh, you only have to go to my high school reunion to know that, that some people change, all right? Change happens. Yet we think of change as being blown through the wind. We think of ourselves as essentially drifting into change. All right, so... Those of you who have been out of high school anywhere between 5 to 25 years, think back. You are a different person now than you were when you graduated from high school, right? Now, the majority of the change that has taken place in your life probably has been the drifting kind of change. It's sort of this tumbling through the breeze of circumstance and opportunity, and you find yourself who and where you are today. Is change only this sort of being blown by the wind kind of event? Or 
can we actually look at areas of our life that need to change and say, I am going to change. Like, can we change? Can we change sinful patterns? Can we change cycles of addiction in our life? Can we change thoughts that are driving us into the ground? Can we change the way that we treat others? Can we treat others in a more fair and equitable way? Can we change and look more like Jesus? Can we become more righteous? Or do we just simply hope that the winds of time will blow us into these new realities? Like we will drift into becoming a more righteous person. We will drift into becoming more fair and just. We will drift into conquering cycles of addiction. We will drift into walking away from sinful habits. We will drift into a life that looks more like Jesus. We will drift into heaven, all right? We will drift into our sanctification. What does change look like for the believer? Now, many of us might admit that the majority of our life, we have allowed ourselves to be uh, drift, drifted, to, to be blown by the winds of opportunity and circumstance like that feather. And we have, yes, indeed, we have changed, but not necessarily for the better, right? There are probably some areas in your life in which you have changed, and you think to yourself, my golly, how did I get here? This is not good. And if this doesn't change, then my life, the future of my life, looks pretty bleak in some of these areas. And you might, last week, as we read chapter 1 and we saw this, this picture of disaster, you might say there is some clear disaster that exists in my life. And I, I'm, I'm here today because I know that I need to change. But how do I change? Well, Proverbs is a good news book. Remember that. Proverbs is a gospel book, meaning Proverbs isn't written for those who have it all together. Proverbs is written for those who have screwed it up. Proverbs is written not for the wise, but Proverbs is written for the fools. Proverbs is written not for those who have made all of the correct decisions in life. Proverbs is written for those of us who have ruined our lives. And chapter 2 comes to us as a breath of fresh air. And we see in chapter 2, not necessarily steps how to change, but a portrait of the person who does change. So there is some need in your, area, in your life. There are some areas that need to change. Here before you is a portrait of the kind of person that, that, that discovers, that finds godly change in their life. Let's look at it. First, they seek wisdom with their heart. The person who changes seeks wisdom with their heart. Now let me break that down for you. 
In the first four verses of chapter 2, we see a series of if and thens. Or the first, actually, this entire passage, we see a series of if, then. If you do this, then this will happen. Verses 1 through 4, we see two ifs. Verses 5 through 11, we see two thens. Now, chapter 1 is also an if-then, but written in the negative. So chapter 1, you could boil it down and say chapter 1, the point says, if you ignore wisdom, then what will happen? Pop quiz here. Anybody? Then you will find disaster in your life. But chapter 2 now turns the if-thens into the positive. So if you, now do not ignore wisdom, or if you, let's put that in the positive, if you listen to wisdom, then this is what will happen. Now, first question that needs to be asked here is this. What do we mean by seeking wisdom? So if we say the portrait of the the person who changes is somebody who seeks wisdom with their heart, what do we mean by seeking wisdom, or another way to say that would be, how do we know that what we're seeking is actually wisdom? Well, look at the, look at the text. Verse 1. We see that there is this receiving of words. There is a treasuring up of commandments. You know that you're seeking wisdom when you are receiving the words of God. When you are treasuring up the commandments of God. So this right here starts off by basically saying you must live a Bible-saturated life. You must be an individual that receives the Word of God. You must be an individual that treasures up the commandments of God. Now this doesn't mean that we wait until disaster strikes before we open our Bibles to try to find the answer. So when we say that God, that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord through the encounter of reading His Word, we don't mean by that wait until disaster has struck in your life and now go searching for the answer. Alright, this is where wisdom is mocking. This is where wisdom is saying you're you're, kind of late on the draw. The, The person who sees change in their life is someone who daily is saturated in the Word. Meaning, not the, like, I read this passage and boom, like, wow, uh, fireworks, the big aha, the answer for, for my life and the, the problem that I'm, that I'm facing. No, it's, the, it's that regular, ordinary, morning after morning after morning, plodding through the Word of God. Consuming the Word of God. Eating this book for breakfast every morning. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, I cannot imagine knowing all of the stresses in life, knowing all of the challenges that we face in life, all of the problems that you're going to every day experience. Spurgeon said, I cannot imagine coming down the mountain and into life 
and having to face all of that without first ascending to the mountaintop and experiencing and hearing the Word of God. Only then can I come down the mountain and into life. So this is is the shift in which you, you, you realize that that the Bible is not something that is uh, boring or you realize the Bible is not something that's bad for you. You realize that these, the, 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 the Word of God, the commandments of God are, are not sort of this, uh, these rules of the evil tyrant that wants to make your life miserable. I mean, isn't that the lie that we all buy? That God's purpose is to make my life more miserable? To take away fun? No, the shift goes from from believing that to now seeing and receiving these words. And it says, actually, not just believing and obeying the commandments, but he says treasuring up the commandments. Meaning we, we treasure what we find in the Word. This is... This is our life source. These these are not the words of a tyrant, but this is the word of a good king who wants to free you from the tyrant. This is the word of the good king who wants to draw you from the land of chaos that you're in into the promised land of peace and shalom. And so then we receive the words, we go to the words and we treasure the words. But seeking wisdom, while it includes Bible reading, is not merely Bible reading. So we don't just simply wake up every day and read the Bible and expect uh, to become wise. But look at the verbs that are, that are in, these, in these verses here. Verses 1 and 2, we see some passive verbs. Receive, treasure up, make your ear attentive, incline your heart. Verses 3 and 4, then it gets intense and they move from using passive words to now active verbs. Call out, raise your voice, seek it, search for it. When I played basketball in high school, I remember my coach would always be yelling at us when we were, if, if we missed a, a, a pass or if a pass was stolen. He would always be yelling, attack the pass. So there's a sense in which the ball is being lobbed to me, all right, and so I am now receiving it. I'm catching it, all right? I'm putting myself into position to, to take the ball. Yet there is also a sense in which I attack the ball. Because that ball is valuable. You don't want to lose the ball. So my coach would yell, yell at us, attack the ball, if we missed it, all right? If you're playing ball on the court... Next time, remember that. Attack the ball. And that's essentially what 
God is telling us here. Saying God is like lobbing you wisdom. All right, wisdom is something that you receive. It's it's something that you turn and you catch, but we also attack it and we go after it. And we, we, we grab it and we search, search it and we seek for it and we call out and we raise our voice for it. Meaning wisdom is not something that we just have inside of us. We don't go inward to receive wisdom. But we go outward. Wisdom is something that comes from an outside source that we receive and seek and call out for. Now notice here that we're not saying if you want to change, seek change. See, this is the mistake that we usually make. We think, man, there are some areas in my life that I need to change, so therefore, I will set my goal uh, in this way. I am going to change this aspect of my life. We make, we, we make change the center of what we are striving for, right? Does anybody do this? So we're not talking about seeking change as the end goal. If you want to change, I believe what the Word is saying is, is stop focusing on yourself. You see, we can we could be like these, and I've, I've used this phrase before, these spiritual belly button gazers. Alright, like the baby that found our belly button, all we can do is look at ourselves, And so we, we know that there's an area in our life that needs to change, and we can't take our eyes off of it. And all we can do is think about ourselves and think about how we should change and how we need to change, and we're trying to change. What the Word is saying is this. If you need to change, lift your eyes up off of yourself and look at the Savior hanging on the cross. Look at the embodiment of wisdom in Christ. The greatest picture of God's glory, the greatest picture of God's love for you, the greatest picture of God's mercy and His justice right there in Christ hanging on the cross, when we set our eyes on the Lord, when we set our eyes on Christ, guess what happens? We begin to change. You see, change is a byproduct of focusing our attention on Christ. Change is a byproduct of looking and calling out for not just fix me, but give me wisdom. Change is a result of God's grace in our life. The Gospel does not say that Jesus is here to fix all of your problems. But rather the Bible says, set your heart on things above, not on things of this world, including your own issues. Jesus says, not if you want me, then I'm here and I'll fix it. Jesus says, if you want me, 
lose your life and find me. Friends, we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and call out for Christ. Seek wisdom. There, there was an article that I recently read about a, uh, a woman, a young, young woman, 28 years old, I believe, who uh, had a procedure of uh, permanent sterilization. Uh, so she couldn't have any more babies. And uh, a couple years later, she regretted it and wished that she could have babies, all right? That's what the article was about. What caught my attention, though, in this article and in her story was this. She said, as my, my husband and I were considering going through this process, as I look back on that time, we never once asked God for wisdom. We never once asked God for wisdom. Now, I wonder how many of us would find ourselves in similar situations in life. There's something that we might regret. An area of our life we, we talked in such a way that we shouldn't have. We made a decision in which we shouldn't have. And if we're honest with ourselves as we look back, we could say, yes, you know, I never actually sought God. I never actually asked God to give me wisdom. The other day I was uh, talking with, with my wife and I was frustrated about issues in my own life. Um, you know, I tend to be an argumentative person. I will prove my point to you. All right, just give me a minute. And I was telling my wife, like, I don't want to be argumentative. And, and I said, give me some wisdom. Like, how can, I, how can I change? And she looked at me and she was like, ask God for wisdom. He can give, it, give you better wisdom than, than I. And I thought to myself, huh? What a... What an idea. What a concept. And so I did. Began asking, God, give me wisdom. You see, so much of our life, we just drift through it. And we, we make these decisions, and we're going with opportunities and circumstances, and we never pause to say, God, I need wisdom. We never cry out, or lift our voice, or search for, or seek to find out wisdom in this area. The person who changes, this first portrait of a person who changes, is a person who seeks wisdom and then seeks wisdom with their heart. Now this is an interesting concept. Throughout this text we see heart. We see soul. We don't see brain. You see, wisdom is not something that we seek after with our brain. It's something that we seek with our heart. Wisdom is something that then comes into your heart before it comes into your brain. You see, as Solomon is saying, as Solomon is saying that you must search for wisdom, he's not saying that wisdom is hiding from you. He's not saying that wisdom is playing hard to get like the woman that flirts with you, and then as soon as you turn and... I dated a girl in high school like this, alright? As soon as you say, okay, 
let's, let's, let's date, she's gone, all right? That's not wisdom. Wisdom is not playing hard to get. Wisdom is ready, it's available, you can find wisdom. However, listen, wisdom is impossible to find if your heart is not set upon finding wisdom. You see, this is an issue of the heart. If your heart does not have a disposition toward wisdom, you will never find wisdom. Remember, chapter 1 says that fools hate wisdom. The reason fools can't find wisdom or knowledge is because they hate it. Because wisdom, when you receive it, goes against the grain of what you want to do. Wisdom from God goes against the grain of your fleshly desires. And so when all you can see is what you want, then you do not have a heart set toward wisdom. And she is impossible to find. The portrait of the changing person. First, they seek wisdom. Secondly, secondly, they receive wisdom as a gift from God. Look at verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So again, wisdom is not something that you find inside of yourself. You don't go and meditate and find wisdom. Wisdom is going outside of yourself because God is the keeper of wisdom. And here it says that God, when you seek for it, will give you wisdom. When you seek for knowledge, God will give you knowledge. Verse 7, He stores up. Everybody say, stores up. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Listen, this is saying that God has a canyon full of wisdom stored up for you. For all who seek it. For all who set their heart upon it. He is ready and wants to give it to you. It's there. It is to be had. Now, some of you might say, wait a second. This whole if-then stuff sounds legalistic. If I do this, then God will do this. It sounds legalistic. Ray Ortland, on his, in his commentary on this text, he answered that question in this way, and it's a beautiful illustration, so I'm going to steal it. He says, imagine that you and I were hiking toward the Grand Canyon. And by the time we got there, we had gone through mud and we had gone through rocks and dirt and we finally get there and we're standing at the edge of the canyon and you're looking at it and what you see is breathtaking. What you see is gorgeous. And you say to me, you say, isn't that beautiful? And I say, what are you talking about? What, what's beautiful? And you look at me, and my glasses are caked in mud. And then you say, Joel, take off your glasses and clean them. And then put them back on, and you'll see what I'm talking about. 
And then I look at you and I say, that's legalistic. Don't tell me to do something. I should just be able to see it. See, essentially what, what, the, what Solomon is saying is, look, you don't create wisdom. You don't earn wisdom. You don't make wisdom. All you need to do is look at wisdom. But your glasses are caked in mud. So what does the cleaning process look like? Well, we've already discussed it. Receiving God's Word. Treasuring up His commands. Having a heart that is set on seeing and receiving wisdom. And then we see it. A canyon full of wisdom that God has been storing up for us. Now, how do you know that what you are hearing is wisdom? How do you know? Let me give you an example in this way. Imagine that you had a friend who came to you and they said, they said, uh, I, I, I've prayed about this, I've thought about it, I've, I've sought God on it, I've been asking for wisdom, and I've decided to make a really dumb decision. And you think to yourself, that's a dumb decision. And they say, but wait, but I, I, I sought wisdom on it. I asked God for direction, and, and yes, I do believe that I should make this dumb decision. And you say, but that's a dumb decision. Have, have you ever had this kind of experience with anybody? And you walk away scratching your head and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what they're listening to. They, they believe that they're listening to wisdom. They believe that they're crying out and hearing wisdom, yet they've decided to make a dumb decision. That doesn't seem like wisdom. How do we, and forget your friend, let's talk about make it personal. How do you know, how do I know, that what I'm hearing now is wisdom. How do I know that God is giving me wisdom? All right? Let me show you. Verse, five, uh, verse 8. We see here the purpose of wisdom. Verse 8, it says, guarding the paths, so God gives you wisdom, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Meaning, the purpose of wisdom is to guard the path of Christians. The purpose of wisdom is to protect Christians from sliding off into sin. That's why God gives us wisdom. And so now you know that you are receiving wisdom when you are being guided away from sin. When you are being protected from a life of legalism when you are seeking the shalom of others. You know that you're being guided into wisdom when you are looking more and more like Jesus. When you are growing in your sanctification. So the person who changes, listen, is someone who begs, asks, uh, raises their voice, seeks, shouts out for wisdom as soon as they do, with their heart, their heart is set upon it, as soon as they do, God then gives them wisdom. Now they have it. And look at, look at, look at the consequences. Look at verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity 
and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That sounds a lot like change, doesn't it? How do people change? Do people change through receiving guilt trips? Do people change through receiving 10 easy steps to change? Do people change through developing a self-improvement plan? Now let's, let's think about this logically, alright? The reason that you find destruction in your life is because you lack wisdom you lack wisdom because your heart doesn't want it, alright? The only way now to gain wisdom is to, as we've covered, incline your heart toward wisdom. Have a heart disposition set on wisdom. Now, hearts that seek wisdom, God will give them wisdom. Are you tracking with me here? And then lastly then, in order to find change, we need not a guilt trip. We need not ten easy steps. We need not a self-improvement plan. In order now to find wisdom and to see change in our life, what we need is a new heart. We need hearts that desire wisdom. And this is why Proverbs is a good news book. Because look what God does for everyone that seeks out and calls for wisdom. God gives it to him. Look at verse 10. Wisdom will come into your heart. Not into your head. But wisdom moves into your heart. And you change. And you become more righteous and more just and more equitable more loving and more like Jesus. All of a sudden, knowledge and wisdom is pleasurable to you. It is no longer something that you hate. It's no longer something that you run from. All of a sudden, you, you love asking God for direction because you treasure everything that His Word says. There are three examples that Solomon closes with here on, on how, what this looks like and, and how, how change happens and, and how now knowledgeable, knowledge and wisdom is now, now pleasurable. Uh, in verses 12 through 15, we see that you are now delivered from devious men, uh, men who trick you into schemes and try to draw you into their murderous affairs. In verses 16 through 19, we see that you are delivered from the adulterous woman. In verse 21, we see that you inhabit the land, which uh, for the Israelite, the land meant, meant God's shalom, the peace, this place where slaves can live in peace, all right? That is the land. And you will inherit, he says, the land, the peace. So wisdom doesn't promise a life without problems. Wisdom promises peace through a life wrought with problems. Now let me just close with this. I want to close with using one of these examples and just illustrating this and showing you how wisdom changes you. And how uh, in this process of being changed, wisdom becomes something that is pleasurable. Something that you truly want and don't run from. Look at 
this example of the forbidden woman. He says here that, that this woman has smooth words. The, the original word is slippery. It means slippery words. or so It's also translated seductive. Meaning when you are hearing her words, alright? You're listening to her words. They are smooth, slippery, and seductive. And listen, wisdom comes at you and says, don't go there. But you are caught into this imagination and into the wonder of this, these smooth and slippery and seductive words. This is this adulterous relationship. This is sexual immorality. This is internet pornography. This is a, a, a prostitution. This is a, a massage parlor. This is, when, when, when you're being seduced, all right, and wisdom is coming at you, do you want wisdom? No. Fools hate knowledge. Because you know what wisdom will say to you, don't you? And so we don't seek God in these moments. But look how wisdom changes you. Wisdom shows you the end. It shows you what, what it looks like through all of this seduction. It says that she forsakes her companion of her youth. She forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. When you listen to wisdom, you see the end. This ends in sorrow. This ends with emptiness. This ends with heartbreak. This ends with hollowed out homes. This ends with dinner tables with no one around them. This ends with family pictures that are burned. You see, when, when you listen to wisdom and wisdom begins to speak to you, you say, ah, I see it. I, I see where this can lead me. And now you love wisdom. Now you cherish God's Word. Now you cherish His commands and you cry out and you beg God, please, please, let me remain on this path. Here is this path and at the end of the path there is the cross of Christ. And you see Christ in all of His glory uh, dying for your sins. All right, salvation coming to you through His work on the cross and there He is. And you're on this pathway toward the cross. And you cry out, God, give me wisdom so I don't slip. Don't let me slip down these slippery slopes and tumble into destruction and lose sight of the cross. But give me wisdom. Guard my path. Keep me on this road so that I might receive the prize. So that I might finish you see, the grace of God is more than just forgiving you of your sins. The grace of God is also changing you to look more like Jesus, keeping you on this pathway so you do not slip. Friends, you can change. How do you change? 
Lift your eyes up off of yourself and cry out for wisdom. Set your heart upon wisdom. Receive wisdom as a gift of God. And you will find that you change. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this chapter, this truth that is communicated herein. We ask that You give us wisdom. That we do not hate knowledge, but that we have hearts that are set on Your Word, receiving Your commandments, treasuring them up. Let us trust that You are a good Father. Change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.